preparing for corona. There are no prizes for underdoing our response. Abortion law reform. That man will be removed from the gallery. And knock knock Jess, who's there? Not Hamish Walker. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. I'm Benedict Collins. I'm Mikey Sherman. And I'm Jessica Much Mackay. All right, should we kick off the week with our highlights and lowlights? Jess, what was your uh, highlight for the week? Um, my highlight this week was doing a story on the Provincial Growth Fund. I really enjoy looking into it. I think it's a fascinating idea of, of having this big pot of money to try and pump up the regions, but I guess it's the execution that, um, from a journalistic perspective, we're interested in digging into. And this one today was about um, a group of Southland engineers that were saying that they were only getting money because North, they'd overspent in Northland, and so they were going down to Southland to try and um, dish out the cash and even things out, in their opinion. Now, Shane Jones said, look, no, that's not the case. Um, we want our officials to be enthusiastic. Mm. But, you know, they do have to stick to the rules and, and make sure that everything meets the threshold. So it was an interesting story that um, I enjoyed doing that ran on Sunday on One News. And it seemed like quite a few of the... Um local engineers sort of um, like different companies had come forward and sort of were unhappy about it. Yeah yeah and I think their concern was that their guy down the road was getting some help with the provincial growth fund but they hadn't some of them hadn't had the opportunity to get their piece of the pie mm. so it was a bit unfair in a smaller community so and it was really interesting obviously our stories are only a couple of minutes long but um, I interviewed a few of them and it was they had lots of concerns raised about this so it was interesting to get that perspective through on Sunday night. Certainly not the only criticism Shane Jones faced uh, over the weekend. Uh, he also faced, and this will be my pit, um, more criticism over his comments about Indian students arriving here, basically saying that they were bringing down um, the credibility of our tertiary institutions, saying, you know, it's a, it's a backdoor to citizenship. And he was naturally crucified uh, over the ensuing days for that. And the Prime Minister yet again having to apologise and uh, clean up his mess at postcab on Monday. So she'd be getting fairly sick of having to do that, I'd say. She was pretty strong on Monday, coming out and giving him a bit of a serve, but just in terms of the follow-up consequences, we're yet to see those. Yeah, and not, she wouldn't go as far as calling the comments racist, right? She'd say they're no. just plain mm, wrong. Yeah. Even though um, her immigration <coughs> minister did, right? Ian Lees Galloway. Yeah, it was interesting because he said, well, if you're Indian, you'd think they're racist. <laughs> well, you, you know. Yeah. James but, Shaw came out straight up yeah. and said racist, so it was interesting. I'm sure lots of, of non-Indian people might think they were um, racist comments too. And, yeah. and Shane Jones has been away on personal leave from Parliament in the last few days, so we haven't had him around here to, to sort of put it to him in person. We understand unrelated to this incident, just yeah, for pers- clarification. Leave, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about your pit? Oh... Uh, I've, I've got a peak to start oh, off you, with. You if, go peak. If, Let's if, go if positive. If I may. <laughs> go, we go so high and then we go low and then yeah. we go high. So I'll, I'll just give you a bit of a back, background here. There's a really good story on stuff about um, Hamish Walker, the MP for Clutha Southland, who got caught out pretty badly. So he put up on Facebook a post saying that he'd been out with a petition door knocking to get signatures for this petition. And it's all about removing that sort of aluminium waste dross from the community in Southland where they were worried the floodwaters were going to hit it and it was going to react a while ago. Petition calling for the cleanup of this toxic waste. Turns out one of the um, local organisers uh, went around and, and double checked, and it turns out Mr. Walker hadn't actually been out door knocking whatsoever um, and had left early. And um, 
he eventually took the petition down. But Mikey came up with quite a good joke, which was my uh, peak for the week. Mikey, take it <laughs> yeah. away. Knock, knock, Jess. Who's there? Not Hamish Walker. <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> Might have seen that coming, but yeah. very clever, guys. <laughs> that, yeah. That's been yeah, good. Yeah, no, we I, thought I, so. I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, I chuckled yeah. quite a bit over that. Yeah. <laughs> mm. It doesn't surprise me. That's a very Benedict Collins joke. It's yeah. good. My peak has to go to the Prime Minister, uh, obviously from last week, um, but after our last podcast, and that was uh, the Prime Minister opening a can of whoop-ass on Scott Morrison, Australian Prime Minister, uh, basically talking about uh, the deportee issue and saying, you know, deport and send back genuine Kiwis, um, but don't send back your problems and your people. And obviously referring to the fact that, you know, a lot of those um, who are being sent back don't actually have any real connection to New Zealand. And so that was some real uh, popcorn uh, political uh, entertainment there um, between so Scott awkward. Morrison and He's Jacinda Ardern. standing right there and she's just like, da, da, da. I love, I love and, that And what a way to counter also Simon Bridges' um, position or policy announcement earlier that week saying that they would introduce you know, a similar, similar piece of legislation. Jacinda Ardern coming back later that week being like, yeah, well, here's my, here's my stamp on it and yeah. just went, went rampant. It was great. It was great. Um, mine, I guess, was um, when outside Parliament um, there was a protest uh, that it's been there three days this week, um, showing really graphic images of um, protesting about abortion. And I get the tactic that they're trying to use and shock the MPs, but I think it's pretty confronting. And I think for a lot of people, seeing those images out the front of Parliament, whether they're work, walking home from work or um, using that as a thoroughfare to get to where they have to go. I do think they're quite confronting and I'm just not sure if if that will be a well-received message on that front. I'm just not sure if that's the tactic to go about it. These images, they were they were really big um, and, and, yeah, pretty graphic. So I that was my pit this week. Yeah, and, and you're right, people have a right to protest and you can see the point they are trying to shock MPs, but then you've also got lots of children... School kids coming through Parliament grounds. You got other kids, you know, so it is, you know, a bit of an ugly, ugly protest. Yeah. yeah. As soon as right. I saw the, the those images, I had to ring up my partner because all of my children come and pick me up every day, and they play on the playground there out front of Parliament. And I had to ring them up and say, "Who's coming with you to pick me up?" Because I didn't want them to see those images. They're horrific. Um, and you know, it, it was. It, I don't know. I feel like there was a line there, and. Ugh, straight on the line, those those images, and, and crossed it, I think. But it, it seems maybe a, uh, maybe a higher power didn't like them too much either. The wind um, <laughs> played, played, played havoc with them and actually blew quite a few of their signs off uh, yeah. into the city at one, one point. One of our camera operators, yes. Sam, who was down there, got this image of it flipping up to the eighth floor of the beehive and then no, fluttering back down. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, should we... Um, get into coronavirus and have a look at the developments there. We've had multiple, we've had a second and a third case confirmed this week. We've, we're sort of getting, I went to the Ministry of Health's briefing yesterday where they announced the second one and said, <clears throat> and that was a lady who had just come back from Italy. Her partner was also sick and had just come back from there as well. I mean, this it's just starting to balloon, isn't it? It really is. And I think, shall we go big picture with it for the political sense first and talk about the politics of it? Because I think what it creates here is a really interesting situation. We're six months out from a an election. So whatever the politicians had planned and they would have done week by week what they wanted to announce, what they wanted to do, what messages they wanted to get across, that's now being drowned out by coronavirus um, 
and this is coming and that happens often in politics things come in that you don't plan but I guess the thing is here is that it's been it's going to last for weeks and weeks and weeks if not months and I think it feels like we're on the edge of it becoming quite a giant story already already it's massive politically already it's a big health um, issue but I just think we've had three confirmed cases um, and I just think it feels like we're on the edge of it and it's going to have a big impact. It puts the opposition for example in a difficult position. They've either got this situation where they can not be on the news for a few months or they can criticise the government on this issue and appear negative and sometimes not get the tone right um, come out with perhaps um, economic plans or things that they would do when you should really still be in that in that um, health state of mind. So it's mm. really interesting stuff. Yeah. Well, you go, Mike. Oh, no, I was just going to follow up on that, that it is a fine line for the National Party to be walking, and we've seen them ask a number of questions in the House this week. But I feel as though they're important questions to be asked at the same time as, as trying to get that tone right. It's important for them to, to put those questions to the government. It is a, a new government. You know, they were in opposition for nine years. This is a big test for them. Um, and, and you know, some of the questions that Michael Woodhouse, for example, was asking was was relevant, um, around that, especially around that first case passenger um, so yeah, I think it's good to keep keep the ministers and and, and on and, and others on their toes well, on this. And um, in your live cross last night, Jess, you mentioned this, but the prime minister yesterday in the house said, "Hey, look, we're open to giving you more briefings, better briefings." And I thought that, that was interesting about that first passenger, the lady um, who come in from Iran, because it seemed like the media had better information than the National Party about what had happened there um, when we looked at the questions Michael Woodhouse was asking in the house like we were sort of well ahead of them in terms of the information we had accessed so you know and so they should they should be getting these um you know the most up-to-date briefings as the opposition right but there are there are valid questions but there's also david bennett on local radio in hamilton saying you know he's encouraging people to go out there and panic buy and they should be panic buying and hitting the supermarket shelves and trying to get as much as they can because you don't know what's going to happen i mean you know going against all the sort of official advice and susie wiles was just furious about that um, interview and she um, wrote an interesting column on, on the spin-off about that as well. And he's not a backbench MP, he's a former minister, isn't yep. he? So he should, you know, you, you'd think that he should know better than to be sparking a bit of a bit of public panic out there. Well, even admitting in that interview when when we listened to it yesterday um, that, or that, you know, it's not what usually advice that an MP would dish out on that front. But yeah, I think it is an interesting just... Um, the tone that we're going to see. And we saw it in the debating chamber yesterday with the Prime Minister, um, I think, playing a more um, subdued tone than we'd usually see from her, with the opposition still kind of looking for that robust debate like we always see. So it is just a bit of a game for them. And I thought this week really fascinating. I think the BBC was reporting um, that in the UK, you know, they think if things get really bad there, you could have a fifth of workers at home sick with coronavirus. Really, I know at the start of the year there were predictions that 60% of the world's population could get coronavirus and half of those be, be sick with it. But from, from people I've been talking to, what the experts who model how diseases spread, what they're finding really hard to understand is how coronavirus is acting so differently in different places. Like you've got northern Italy, you've got Iran where it's exploding and you know affecting huge numbers of people. And you've got other places where it's quite contained and only seems to be sort of you know, infecting a few people around that, and they're not quite sure why it's behaving so differently in different locations. So, that, I mean, that's going to be the big 
thing to see in New Zealand is how is it going to behave here. It was really interesting to see um, Phil Twyford's to hear Phil Twyford's comments when he went up the east coast earlier this week and just talking about the impact on workers. You know, um, those in the forestry industry along the east coast have been hit hard, um, and he mentioned that he was talking to someone who was you know talking about a colleague feeling suicidal because of the stress and the pressure that they're under, having lost work and you know bills are piling up and so on. Really good to hear the government come in behind them and get rid of that sort of first week stand down period when it comes to the job seeker benefit so there won't be a week stand down people will be able to get it straight away because you just imagine getting behind on say your rent for a week and then being on a benefit you will never catch up to that week's rent that you're in arrears on right because benefits are already so small anyway mm. so it's good to see you know practical <coughs> small things like that being brought in quickly but it does raise a question doesn't it is you know us <coughs> if a stand down's unfair in this situation why is it ever fair Right. Yeah. Good question. Yeah, you know, yeah. if it's if it's unfair to apply it to people who've just lost their jobs because of this coronavirus, mm. what about people who've lost it for other reasons? Right? Why should they have to go through a stand down? That's I think true. that was a point Sue Bradford, I believe, may have been making on. Uh, social media today as well, Look, former yeah. Green MP. Yeah. Another point that I wanted to make is, is, and it's sort of a big picture thing, but I was thinking about it, and I'm thinking that this is going to be this government's big test, right? So you had John Key dealing with the global financial crisis, and now Jacinda Ardern's got the coronavirus. And we and we heard this week from Finance Minister Grant Robertson, we're now heading into that scenario two, where the economic impact will now last for the rest of the year. Um, and so we're teetering on that recession as well, teetering there on that planning for it, um, but not predicting it is sort of what the government's saying. But I think, yeah, big picture-wise, this is going to be Jacinda Ardern's big um, uh, test as a government. Um, you know, we all remember how well John Key uh, steered uh, the country through the global financial crisis, and that's, you know, often what you hear, you know, is that national had to deal with that while keeping the books um, balanced and, and so on. I feel like this for, for Labour will be that moment, coronavirus. Yeah, and it comes at a time when we were on the anniversary of the uh, March 15 shooting as well, and I think that was another big test for the Prime Minister. I think in this situation um, with COVID-19, it is a time that we turn and look to the government um, for for leadership. It, it's, in a sense, you strip away some of the politics and, it, and it's just the pure leadership. You are the the Prime Minister of our country and I just wonder so close to an election the way that they deal with this how much that will be in people's minds as they go on September 19 and mm. I think if it had been last year um, it may be a little it may be a little different but we're, we're so close we're in the lead up and I just I wonder behind the scenes and this is as a pure political um, reporter rather than um, rather than a normal person, but you you wonder how much um, behind the scenes the campaign managers are having to go cross out, cross out, cross out week by week by week as they're just starting to lose what they had planned behind the scenes and how that's going to... And an opportunity to it. talk about other things. Yeah, and the intensity we're now going to see around the election if they get clear air between now... And yeah, and you don't know how election. it's going to play out, right? No, no. <clears throat> we do know how um, something did play out this week, and that was abortion law reform mm. back before Parliament for its second reading. We talked a bit before about the protesters outside, but it passed that second reading with a pretty big majority. Um, <clears throat> it was 89-31. Um, a smaller majority, though, on the first reading, uh, which 
many may not be surprised by though, right? Do you agree that usually you see that sort of support drop off well, a lot after of MPs, the first reading? A lot of MPs support stuff through the first mm. reading, right, so that it can go to select committee and then kind of make up their minds. But from talking with um, justice ministers, officials and stuff like that, I, I kind of get the idea that they're not sure how next week it'll come back and go through committee stages, which is where they kind of like debate each line of the bill and the proposal and people can bring in those you know extra ideas like we're expecting New Zealand First to come in and um, come in with an idea for a referendum put this to a public referendum I'm going to have lots and lots of these come through and I think they're expecting you know MPs might move between those yes and no camps quite a bit um, before that third reading which will be in two weeks time um, and I, you know I'm just not sure how how much support there will be or whether it will get get a lot closer on that third reading yet. Because in general terms, it's obviously um, looking at taking it from the Crimes Act and making it a health issue, which is sort of the broad umbrella. But there are um, little bits as part of that that some of the um, different political parties want to want to tweak and add and yeah. take out. So, um, But it's a, it's a contentious issue. Very and much so. And, and one of those issues there... Um, uh, you know, because it sort of comes into free speech versus trying to protect women from being harassed as they go into abortion clinics mm. or into those hospitals, setting up those safe zones on a on a sort of case by case issue. Big debate there about whether that is sort of trampling on free speech rights and whether people should have the right to protest mm. against that desire to sort of protect women from being unnecessarily harassed. That, that was um, David Seymour, right? So he supported he supported it at second reading, but he did say that that he didn't like the idea of those safe zones because of that free speech um, yeah. <coughs> right that he wanted to protect. Um, yeah. and, and I mean, that's the, always the interesting thing when it comes to conscience votes. Uh, that's what I enjoy most about it is, is that, one, you can really sort of get to know MPs because they don't have to toe the party line yeah. and you can sort of hear from, you mm. know, hear their values and, 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 and so on come through. Um, and we saw that in the speeches, spoke about David Seymour. We had Agnes Loheny, national MP. She was in tears saying it was abortion on demand. Um, and then you had her colleague Amy Adams saying, you know, um, it was a right... Um, to have a cho- have the choice for women, you know, and that's why she came into Parliament. So you get to see all of the different beliefs and values and so on from all of the various MPs in the House. And I think with this issue particularly, it, it's obviously an emotive issue, but when it comes to rights and balancing those out, yes, I'm the first person to stand up and say we have a right in New Zealand to protest and we need to um, uphold that and it's a massive part of a democracy. I also think though, and in this case, I think it's a bigger, more important right, that those women who are making that really tough, difficult decision can go in without um, feeling like they've got those horrific signs being held at them. And to me, in this situation, that yeah. right is more important. Or scream murder at them and yeah, yeah, it's, all those it's, things, right? Yeah. Yeah. At a really difficult time. Um, shall we talk about another change that the government's made this week as well um, around voting and just touch on that briefly before we wrap it up? I thought really interesting changes that came through last night. And basically what happened last year is that um, nearly 20,000 people thought, yep, I'm going to vote which is sometimes a hard thing to get people to do ordinarily, rock up to their polling station and your details are out of date, you're not registered, you can't vote. They have to go away and feel, I guess, 
disenfranchised by the whole system. You want to go and do something and you can't. So now the law's changed that you can actually go and do that on election day. Of course, they suggest that you should do that before. Also things like you can now set up polling stations in a supermarket. So yeah. all of these things that I just think we want people to have their say. We want people to be represented and have the vote. And to me, making it easier is really important as long as we can do it in a in a safe way where where um, you know it's it's protected and and the systems are robust. So important to make it easy for people. I love that you can do it at the supermarket. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wish you could do it down at the rugby field or the sports, the netball courts, you know, for, yeah. for those parents. Because it's always on a Saturday. Yeah. And so you've got parents taking their kids to Saturday morning sports. Yeah. Imagine if you could just, you know, while while your girl's playing or whatever, you could just pop off into the voting booth and tick the boxes. And, and I guess eventually it will be on, online when the systems can be robust. So you could do it on the side of the rugby field or, or, you know, in bed having your morning coffee or whatever you're doing. But I do think that in the meantime, while we're waiting for that to happen, that this is important. And I do think that, that 20,000 people is quite a lot. Is it going to slow down the count, though, do you think? You know, the official Maybe. count? Maybe, and that's, and I, that's I guess the they balance. also have overseas votes still coming in, right? Yeah, yeah. they do. And I guess 20,000 could make a difference in some areas, but not not every electorate So, or, or, or with a party vote as well. So um, to me, even though you know we couldn't be hungrier on election night to get the numbers in yeah. and make a call, I would rather be a bit slower and have everyone represented. And I just think yeah. we forget sometimes that how, you know, wars were fought and people, like people queue for days um, to to vote. And I, it's just such a such an important right. And I just think that um, it's good that we're making it easier for and everyone. And the research says once you do it once, you know, once mm. you vote one time, you're likely to just continue that trend, right? Yeah. So if we can... Uh, catch as many as we can. Yeah, I do know from talking to people involved in the um, the yes vote for the cannabis referendum, they felt that one of their biggest obstacles were people who'd want to vote but who hadn't registered. Mm. You know, they were worried that they'd turn up and they wouldn't be able to, you know, cast a vote in that referendum. So that might... Um, yeah, might make them a bit more relaxed. And that's why this year, so important, you've got three things to vote on. Yeah. The MPs you want to make in Parliament and those two referenda. So there you go. It's going to be a good year. Boom. All right. Thanks, guys. This was our One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News. As we um, gear up towards this year's election, we're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, and it's available around this time each week on One News Online, and you can check us out on your favourite podcasting app. Yeah.